0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the True Blue Crime Podcast. This is episode number 40, the Irish Crime Feud. My name is Dan and as always I'll be a host for this episode. Thank you to all my Irish fans. Other than America, it is currently the most popular country for my podcasts. As a result, I wanted to cover a true crime story from Ireland and I found a crazy feud that has been going on for almost eight years that has resulted in 18 murders and numerous other crimes. It's going to be one interesting case. So in the immortal words of Samuel L. Jackson, hold on to your butts. If you'd like to get updates about what the podcast is up to, please like and follow the True Blue Crime Productions Facebook page. More information can be found at the show's website at TrueBlueCrimeProductions.com. And if you'd like to email me directly, my email is Productions at gmail.com. Finally, if you can, please support the show via Patreon. Any donation level helps, and it'll help ensure I can keep making free episodes of the podcast and expand the podcast in the future. Any donations will receive a shout-out in a future podcast and a thank-you message from the host. For no cost whatsoever, please rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to as it helps expand the listenership. Thank you so much, and without any further ado, let's dive into this episode of True Blue Crime. Movies such as Goodfellas and The Godfather series are the quintessential representation of organized crime to most people. TV shows such as The Sopranos further cemented the idea of the Mafia being Italian families that sat around eating pasta as they managed their criminal enterprises. But in Ireland in the 1990s, a single journalist set out to cover the lesser-known world of Irish organized crime. Her name was Veronica Guerin, and she was a fearless and dedicated journalist that shook off death threats and survived two different assassination attempts. Being shot in the leg wasn't enough to stop her, and she continued to report on the activities of some of the most active Irish crime syndicates until on the evening of June 25, 1996, gunmen from the Gilligan Drug Gang ambushed her while she was in her car stopped at a stoplight. Two men on a motorcycle pulled up next to her car and shot her six times, killing her on the spot. The timing of her death pointed the finger at a lot of different leaders of organized crime as she had a book coming out that detailed the crimes of one of the families and was set to speak at a global conference in London just two days after she was killed. Her speech was about the risks some journalists take to tell their stories. But this episode isn't about Veronica Guerin. Although she was an amazing woman that is sorely missed, this episode is about the new organized crime that rose up after her murder. In a blood feud that has been going on for eight years with a body count of 18 and climbing. In America, we had the Hatfields and the McCoys, and had this been an American story, I probably would have done an introduction that involved them. But since this is Irish, I figured it was better to lead with a little Irish history before we dive into the modern Irish version of the Hatfield and McCoys, known as the Hutch-Kinahan feud. I knew this would be a hard true crime topic to cover because it's not just one crime, it's dozens of them, and the suspects are victims, and the victims are suspects. There was a variety of ways to approach it, but I figure it's best just to introduce you to the two syndicates first, and then I'll cover the past and present of this bloody feud. As it's often called the Hutch-Kinnahan feud, I'll start with the Hutch family first. The Hutch family is an Irish organized crime group run by Gary Hutch. He was born on April 11, 1963, in Dublin, and he started his criminal career at age 10. The slain journalist Veronica Guerin, from the introduction, actually nicknamed Jerry Hutch the Monk. And his criminal career started with he joined a gang in the 1970s, a gang that called themselves the Bugsy Malone Gang. They were named after a 1976 film in which child stars Jodie Foster, Scott Bayo, and others created a musical ensemble that made light of organized crime activities by using kid actors to play the roles of prominent Prohibition-era gangsters using cream-shooting guns to splurge rival gang members. It was the most G-rated mobster movie ever made. The Bugsy Malone gang in Ireland was not G-rated as they were known for jump-overs, crimes where the kids would jump over a bank counter and grab cash out of the drawers and run. The monk would move on from these smaller crimes, and throughout the 70s and 80s, he was front and center in many bank robberies, fraud scams, and jewelry heists that had amassed the gang around $34 million by 1985, the equivalent of roughly $100 million in today's dollars. After serving two years in prison in the early 80s for crimes related to his gang's activities, he swore he would never go to prison again. The monk made good on his promise for almost 30 years managed to stay out of charges as he ran the criminal enterprise from afar. This was despite the fact his gang was the prime suspect in two robberies that secured the equivalent of $10 million worth of today's money in 1987 and 1995. I couldn't find much about the Hutch gang activities in the early 90s but after the assassination of Veronica Guerin, Ireland would see a massive change in how the government took on organized crime. In 1996, the Criminal Assets Bureau, or the CAB, was formed. It's like the U.S. version of the IRS, but they hand out financial penalties to criminals and their organizations. It's essentially a money forfeiture organization that attacks organized crime, attempting to seize assets of gang members who are suspected of acquiring these assets via illegal means the hutch gang and gary hutch himself was subject to many attempts by the cab to recover assets they believe were ill-gotten gains this included the cab trying to recover some of the money stolen during the armored car robberies committed by the hutch gangs in 1987 and 1995. so to just take a break from the story and explain this a little bit better. From how I understand it, the, the CAB, and I, I could be wrong here, I've, I looked at a bunch of different sites to kind of figure this out, but as I said, they're kind of like the IRS in terms of they can look at people's financial records, and then if they determine that, that the money in there is not acquired through legitimate means, they can earmark that money and claim it back for the government so basically it's it's a way for for the government of ireland to fight corrupt money and basically take away the incentive for organized crime to function because if you take away the money they make through illegal means they don't have any money left over now i don't know how they can calculate out what is quote unquote legal money versus illegal money Uh, There's most of these organizations are pretty good at laundering money to to make it look like all their money is legal anyway. I mean, I I think if there was a way for governments to find illegal money easily, there'd be more of this kind of stuff going on. But obviously, they've got some way to do it. I just don't know the the formula or how they figure this out because he's going to reach a settlement with Cab. I want to say this is in. The late 90s and he agrees to pay 1.2 million dollars in the settlement and and again there's a whole bunch of numbers thrown out by different sources uh, involving both of these gangs uh, you know his number was that his gang had done something the equivalent of a, uh, 34 million dollars in 1985 the equivalent of roughly 100 million in today's dollars I know they were doing bank robberies and fraud scams and jewelry heists, but that just seems like a lot of money to acquire through those means, especially back in 1985. Now, we did cover the case of the North Hollywood shootout, and those guys had made a few million dollars just the two of them in, in, in a couple months. So I guess it's possible, depending on how big the gang was back then and how many different targets they're hitting. But from my understanding is that this gang only made their money uh, back in the, the 80s and 90s doing these, these fraud scams and bank robberies and jewelry heists. So the numbers might be inflated. They might be off. Uh, the, the two robberies, the one in 87 and 95, that, that money seems to be accurate. It was something along the lines of they hit an armored car cash depot and cut it was like three or four million dollars in i think it was 1995 so that made up the bulk of that that 10 million in today's money so i guess if they had a, a few scores like that it wouldn't take incredibly long but still it, it seems like a stretch to that they had that much money but again I, I could be wrong or again the source could be wrong so but when i the reason i bring that up is because then I'm looking at this the CAB saying that they owe them 1.2 million, and so no matter which way you look at the numbers, it's estimated they got 10 million dollars in illegal money, and I guess this this would have been only a few years later. So even if it's four or five million dollars in 1995 that they figure these guys took in these bank robberies, it, it doesn't seem to me that the they're getting a good return on their money if the the CAB is only taking 1.2 million back. Seems like it'd still be pretty, there'd be a lot of incentive there to continue your criminal activity if you're only giving back 20% of what you took. So again, I don't know how they calculated that out. Uh, that math, those laws, all that kind of stuff is beyond this podcast. I just, as I was reading it, I, I wanted to make sure if people are kind of balking at these numbers or trying to trying to calculate it out in their head yeah it didn't work for me either so i'm sure they know what they're doing it just to me the the, the news reporting was all over when it comes to money and we'll see that as we go throughout this case uh, in the next couple episodes here that there's numbers that are thrown out that are just completely astronomical and again i don't know if that's tabloid journalism to try to you know clickbait stuff or whether that's accurate um Again, there's not a whole lot of government resources about this. It's all media, so I'm just kind of going with what I I read. But uh, he's going to reach a a settlement with the cab. agrees to pay his $1.2 million in that settlement. However, he's going to start looking to invest his remaining money in in legitimate means of money-making. So he starts this limousine service, and he calls it Carry Anybody. And so it's ironic, obviously, because... He's using the same acronym as the, the Criminal Assets Bureau, CAB, for his limo service. And uh, I mean, that most people caught on to that pretty quick. And then the fact that it's carry anybody for a organized crime syndicate, uh, again, it just, I guess maybe he had a sense of humor or just wanted to snub the, the authorities with this limo service. Um, but and then in 1998, he's going to get into the world of boxing and he's going to co-found the Corinthians Boxing Club in Dublin. And both of these syndicates are actually, a lot of this is going to center around boxing. I mean, boxing is somewhat synonymous. It's a, it's a very popular sport in Ireland. So I guess it kind of makes sense. And there is a lot of money to be made there. And it's you can launder money through it. So I guess I could see how they're both going to be connected. But yeah, boxing is going to come up several times during these episodes. And including with their feud and with the Kinnahans. Now, these civil penalties against the Hutch Gang caused it to not only focus on more legitimate revenues, although they still were involved in plenty of illegal revenues, but uh, like other organizations, they're going to move their operations overseas to Spain to make it a lot harder for the, the CAB to come after them. And this is something you see even in legitimate businesses where they're, trying to create tax liabilities by having offshore accounts or by moving their headquarters to a different uh, country that has less tax on their income uh, on corporate incomes all that kind of stuff so they're playing the game like everybody else just basically saying it's way too easy for the cab to monitor our funding because in ireland that the bank of ireland is going to be you know, cooperating with the cab they're going to see large sums of money coming into people's accounts and reporting that to the government and so they're going to say enough's enough in ireland we're moving quote unquote our headquarters to spain and as a result of this there's going to be other organizations that are working out of spain other and, and they're going to get somewhat cozy with these with these organizations And one of the people in the Hutch gang was, in 2009, the monk's nephew, a guy named Gary Hutch, had gotten cozy with the Kenyan cartel. We'll explain the origin of the Kenyans soon, but for now you just need to know that it's reported that Gary was the front man on the largest Irish bank bank heist ever when his gang allegedly hit the Bank of Ireland in a robbery-kidnapping that netted them roughly $10 million or worth about $15 million in today's money. So, as I mentioned, the Hutch gang, they're just your old-school, they're-going-to-take-stuff-that-belongs-to-other-people-style gang. They don't have aspirations, at least large ones, to move drugs or you know, sex trafficking or anything along those lines the kind of some of the stuff that organized crime is known for kind of these I guess you would call them more steady revenue streams like like I said drugs and sex workers and all that kind of stuff they're just going for these big scores these big criminal hits where they can take millions from somebody else and then they're using crews of expendable guys guys that if they get caught they're not gonna rat them out. And if it's a failure, yeah, they're out some money for the planning and the equipment, that kind of stuff. But if it's a success like this, they got $10 million, that's pretty good for this quote unquote small, this small gang. Now, Gary Hutch is gonna need some help laundering this dirty cash, because again, they just stole $10 million in Ireland. They somehow have to find a way to make that into legitimate revenue. And they turn, he turns to his friends in the Kenyan cartel to help. And the Kenyans are allies with many major drug cartels around the world. So laundering $10 million is, A, it's not going to be a very big task for them to do. It's going to be very easy for them to do. And it's definitely something they can do. And again, Gary Hutch, who is the nephew of the monk, is you know, working he's the one that was in charge of this this bank heist he's now in charge of getting this money laundered so things are going well at this point between the two organizations until there's a major raid by the spanish police that was codenamed operation shovel and this led to the seizure of a large amount of drugs money and property from the Kinahan's operations in spain and i saw this reported a couple different ways one said gary hutch was in spain when this happened others said that he was away from spain at the time that this operation shovel happened and that he was meeting with people in holland and so now you're going to get this ever paranoid world of high stakes drug operations and that's going to start to work against gary in this and when i say high stakes i mean if you've watched any TV show or movie and I know I make fun of TV shows and movies all the time, but I think it's probably pretty accurate whether you're talking about like El Chapo or Pablo Escobar or any of these major drug leaders. These guys have some serious uh, paranoia going on. I mean they're always worried about somebody taking money from them, somebody taking drugs from them, somebody coming for their spot as as the top of the of the food chain or the government, uh the US government coming after them. So you mix that with the fact that they're, the Kinnahans are really big in cocaine, and it was reported that a lot of their members were really big into using cocaine. Now you get like the Scarface thing going on where it's paranoia mixed with cocaine and a bunch of guys sitting around talking, and they all come to the conclusion that this Gary Hutch snitched on them. And because as soon as they started working with him and as soon as he laundered, started laundering money with them, all of a sudden, they're getting hit with this Operation Shovel. And this is going to be kind of a a, a lot of stuff is going on behind closed doors. But eventually, when uh, one of the leaders of the Kinahan Cartel's wife dies in 2014, uh, somebody had spray painted Gary Urat along the procession route. And so it kind of goes from being behind closed doors to now it's out in the open. And this is going to be combined with the fact that the Kinahans had taken all that $10 million from Gary's take of the heist. But now, they, as of 2014, they hadn't returned much of it. And so the combination of those two is going to be the ammunition, ammunition that loads the guns of war for these two factions. But before we get into the events of the feud, we need to break down the Kinnahans. And to do that, we need to go back to the assassination of the journalist at the start of this podcast. So the death of Veronica Guerin leads to the implementation of the CAB, along with some serious, harsh criminal and civil penalties against the Gilligan Group. Ultimately, the Gilligan Group was determined to be the one that put out the hit order on on Veronica Guerin because she was going to expose some of their criminal activities. So, as a result, the Irish government comes down on the Gilligan group hard, arrests something like 40 members of their group, basically just takes them completely off the streets. And if we know anything, it's that when you take a bunch of crime off the streets, you create a, a crime vacuum. And there's already a whole bunch of other organized crime groups, including. The hutch gang that's operating and the kinahans that are ready to step into that void so at the time that garen was killed the the killahan group was was kind of a small time like drug and they mainly dealt with drugs and their leader will cover him first he's he's christy and his nickname's dapper don Kinahan. he was born on march 23rd 1957 in dublin And like the monk, he started out as a street-level criminal, but his crimes are more drug-related. And it was said he came from a comfortable middle-class upbringing and could have done anything with his life, but he chose crime. It's said that he went to like the best schools in Ireland, like private schools and stuff. So he's this guy that he doesn't need to choose a life of crime, but he does. And this is going to catch up with him in the 80s. He's going to serve a six-year prison sentence for heroin possession, but unlike other criminals he's going to actually use this as an opportunity and he does some studying in the prison system and said that he studied spanish and russian and he was actually granted early parole early release but the, the article i read said he turned it down so that he could finish studying these languages and and his other studies and by the time he left prison he was fluent in spanish and russian and just for a point of clarification this is often confused with that he learned spanish and dutch it's always said that he learned spanish and that's going to make sense because he's he wants to cozy up with some of the the mexican and colombian cartels but some sources said that he learned russian in prison and is fluent in it and others said it was dutch uh ultimately another source i found said he's fluent in five languages so maybe maybe it's all of them uh but he's going to use these language skills and he, he to set up a drug pipeline between Mexico and the Colombian cartels and the Russian organized crime. And he's going to do this as basically he can get drugs for quote-unquote cheap from Mexico and Colombia and he can work with the Russian organized crime to distribute it all across Europe. So he's got big dreams, big plans. And because we've got this power vacuum in the 90s, it meant that he's got... The ability to, to recruit more guys and build his cartel to replace uh, what was taken off the streets. And he's going to quickly rise to become one of the most powerful cartels in Europe. And like the Hutch gang, they moved their operations to Spain to avoid the CAB and started working with some of the members of the Hutch gang like Gary Hutch. Now, this is where those numbers come in. It said that their assets in 2023 were close to $1 billion. That's billion with a B. And that now the family is run by Daniel Killahan with Christie stepping down years ago. So we're going to discuss part three of this episode. We're going to discuss where everything is to At the current state of this podcast, Uh, most of what we're focusing on is going to be the crimes that occur between 2015 and 2018. And that's why there's, there's reason to question some of these numbers, especially after what we talk about at the end of part three there. But I'm just going off what sources are saying that where supposedly their assets are worth right now. But we'll go back to Operation Shovel, and this, again, this targeted the Kinahan's hard. Uh, Christie, his eldest son, Daniel, and his other son, Christie Jr., were sent to prison for seven months. But Spanish police couldn't really charge them with anything serious from the raid, so that's why they only do seven months. And we're going to find out again by Part 3, but this operation would be pretty much an abject failure, as most of the charges have been dropped and almost all the money and property seized during the raids was returned. However, at the time when this raid occurred, obviously they didn't know that this this was all going to basically turn to nothing down the road, and it, it hit the Kinahan's hard, and so they're fuming at the prospect of Gary snitching out the drug operation. And basically Gary's asking for his money back, the money that he, that they agreed to launder and they're not giving him his money back. And so he's going to, Gary's going to get pissed off. And it's said in there, there's a series of kind of botched robberies going on this time. Cause I think he gave him the money in like 2010. So we've had like three or four years and they're just not having a lot of success with their robberies. At least that's, what's being reported. So he needs this money. This is money he wanted to have back, and they want to put back into the, the criminal enterprise. And it gets to the point where I think if I had to take a guess at what was going on here, they're thinking Gary's a snitch. So the last thing they're going to do is give a bunch of money, a especially dirty money, to a snitch Especially right after they've all been arrested and and had a bunch of property and stuff seized from them by the Spanish government, I mean, if they think Gary's a snitch or he's he's informing on them or or whatever, the last thing they want to do is is set themselves up in some type of a sting operation where they hand over ten million dollars back to Gary and you know the the uh, Spanish government comes in and now they now they do have. Serious charges against them for this money laundering and and everything. So I can definitely see where the the Canahans did not want to give Gary money back at this point, thinking that he's a snitch and an informant. But at the same time, Gary needs this money. He's not actually going to be a snitch or an informant, so he can't understand why they. At least, maybe he does understand the concept of why they wouldn't want to give him the money back. But that's not going to help him in his current situation. So. So this breakdown between the two organizations, this is ready to boil over, and on August 4th, 2014, it's alleged that Gary Hutch sent a hitman to kill Daniel Kinahan at Daniel's residence in Marbella, Spain. And while this seems like a terrible idea, in the world of organized crime, strength is power, and Gary had little strength when it came to the Kinahan's because they had all of his money, so if maybe, I guess, if he was thinking if he could harm the Kinahan's, He's hoping to force their hand to pay him what they owed, and he's also relying on his uncle, the monk, to protect him from any possible fallout. The plan was for the hitman to wait outside Daniel's place for him to leave a party, and unbeknownst to the hitman, who was apparently high on coke, Daniel left early, or the hitman was late, and whatever the case was, he ends up shooting xboxer jamie moore an associate of daniel in a case of a mistaken identity and the gut and this is going to happen as a gunman apparently approaches jamie he's wearing a rubber halloween mask and carrying what jamie thought was a toy gun so jamie thinks this is all a joke he tells the guy to f off and then he thinks about it for a second goes nah i'm gonna go tell this guy that This isn't a funny joke. He shouldn't be doing this. And as he's approaching the the guy, the gunman points the gun at Jamie and fires two shots. One hits Jamie in the leg. The other hits him in his hip. And one of the bullets missed a major major artery by a fraction of an inch. And Moore was in town to train one of his old rivals at the time. And this this is a guy that Jamie Moore had fought in the past. And now he he was helping train the guy. And it's possible that the guy that he was helping train was fighting for a boxing promotion companies that daniel ran so like i said they're all involved in in boxing and so the hutches have like this boxing promotion company and so does uh, daniel Kinahan. so more is just there because of the whole boxing angle of things he's he's not involved in the any of the criminal stuff that's going on uh, l- luckily he's able to make a full recovery and it's deemed that he's an innocent bystander but he's actually gonna be the first victim of this blood feud. And later investigation revealed reveal that in the year following Moore's shooting uh, negotiations to avoid further bloodshed had been ongoing between the families. Apparently there was a deal that involved an associate of the Hutch gang volunteering to be shot in the leg as punishment for the Jamie Moore incident. And another deal supposedly had gary paying the kinnahans two hundred thousand dollars as an apology and this would be an effort to spare his life basically after the botched attempt on daniel's life gary had been living on the run Uh, he's hiding out in various countries and he knew uh that he was a marked man so they thought that by paying this two hundred thousand dollars the Kinahan's promised that they they wouldn't shoot him, and so he returns to Spain. However, the Kinnahans reneged the deals and apparently still felt Gary was a snitch and had tried to kill Daniel Kinnahan, and therefore he needed to pay the ultimate price. And the feud would be thrown wide open on September 24th, 2015. Around 11.30 a.m., a gunman waited on the grounds outside Gary Hutch's apartment building in Marbella, Spain. Gary had just returned from a jog, and he was walking by the pool when a suspect jumped out and fatally shot him. The Kinnahans had collected payment for Gary's perceived snitching and his attempt on Daniel's life. Now, officials would come out later and say that Gary Hutch was not an informant, but I'm sure the Kinnahans took that statement with a very small grain of salt. And whenever I think of organized crime, I think the, the one of my favorite movies involving organized crime is The Departed. And... I just think of all the stuff that goes on like when the um, one of the members of the gang they're they're trying to hide the fact that the police department has a snitch inside this this organized crime unit and so when one of the members of, of the gang dies they try to claim that this guy was, was the informant to keep to take the heat off the guy that actually is the informant and so I'm sure that The Canahan's are looking at it and saying, well, yeah, what else would they say? Like, they're really going to come out and say, oh, yeah, Gary Hutch was an informant. So they're going to still believe that he was the informant, even though there's really going to be no evidence down the road that that was ever the case. It was just a case of probably operating too big in in Spain and the, the Spanish government trying to shut him down, so... And then in 2018, a man named James Quinn would be tried for being the lookout and getaway driver for the murder of Gary Hutch. And this was just interesting because Quinn was convicted but received a lesser sentence because the jury claimed the prosecutor failed to show the crime was gang related. So he's not the trigger man. He's the, the getaway driver. But they must have a law, and we're going to see it a few times, where if you commit a crime for the furtherance of a gang, there's enhanced punishments but you have to prove that that person was there acting on behalf of the gang and somehow they're able to convince the jury that yes he was there as a lookout and a getaway driver in what is by all means a, a gang related retri- you know retribution kill and they, they the prosecutor showed the jury that this that Quinn was a former boxer with ties to the criminal with a criminal organization that allies with the Kinahan gang. However, again, the jury decided he was only guilty of being this lookout and getaway driver, and there's no reporting that the gunman who actually uh, killed Gary Hutch has ever been identified. And two weeks after Gary Hutch's murder, on April 9th, 2015, Gary's younger brother, a, a guy named Derek with the nickname Del Boy Hutch, was attacked in prison where he was serving time for murder. He would survive being stabbed, but it's later discovered that Christie Kinahan, leader of the Kinahan gang, put out a $10,000 bounty on Del Boy. So within a matter of, you know, a couple weeks, the Kinahan's have come back hard on on the Hutch organization here, and they're trying to kill, and, and managed to kill one, but trying to uh, uh, kill another major player being um, Gary's younger brother. And on December 30th, 2015, an associate of the Hutch's named Darren Kearns was assassinated in front of a restaurant he and his wife had just had dinner at. Kearns had several convictions for gang-related activity with the Hutches, and it was reported that he and other gang members had carried out a failed attack on members of the Killahan gang weeks earlier. There's no direct reference to this attack in the research, but it's likely that after these two attacks on the one that killed Gary Hutch and the one that they tried to kill Gary's brother, that it referenced some type of an attack in November, so it makes sense that Somebody went back after the Kinnahans. The Hutch gang went after the Kinnahans in November because they did wipe out and try and tried to wipe out two uh, major players in the Hutch gang. And when that that attack failed, the Kinahans decided they were going to take out this guy um, that was supposedly involved in the in the November attack. So now it's the end of 2015, and things are ramping up so we're going to get to 2016 next and that's going to be the most deadly year between these two organizations in a war that started over paranoia and greed and in the next episode we'll cover all the attacks and murders and the that happened in those years and then we'll talk about some of the the uh, some of the other stuff break down some of the other stuff that's going on at the same time so Again, uh, before I end this episode, just a couple things real quick. If you're having troubles following along, I really apologize. We're going to have a lot of names, especially in this next episode, and I will always try to refer to whether this person is associated with the Hutch gang or the uh, Kenahantons. They... Sometimes there isn't a real clear connection, but if I can make that connection so you understand whether the victim or, or, or the suspect in this case, wh- who they work for, it's it's actually gonna be much like, if you haven't watched, the, there's a three-part miniseries called The Hatfields and McCoys. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. It covers this deadly feud between these two families uh, right after the Civil War in America. And it's very similar to what is going on here, because as we're going to find out, the Kinnahans are much, much stronger. They're a much bigger organization, much better funded. They've got way more guys than the Hutch gang, and so and in the Hatfields and McCoys, it's the Hatfields are they're the more prominent, more uh, well-known family. The, the one of them is a judge, uh, so it's kind of well as they run the county they run everything that's going on here and the mccoys are kind of this smaller group not afraid to fight but they just don't have the power that the hatfields do so it's very much like what's going on here it's just you know that's the 1870s and this is 150 years later so as i said we will we'll cover all that in the next episode for one, I didn't want to do all... I probably could have made this two episodes, but I didn't want to hit you know, a year and a half or a couple years worth of all these crimes because I think it just gets all jumbled together. So the next episode is going to be very heavy into the crimes and some of the the breakdowns of the crimes. And the third episode is going to be kind of the... the we'll tie it all up. We'll, 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 I should say, wrap up the the whole case in that third episode. So I didn't want to go where it was... You know, over an hour episode of just boom, 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 crime, 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 and you try to follow along. So what we have here is you just we know that Gary Hutch was upset that the Kinahans would not give him the money that he had he'd given them to launder. They think he's a snitch. They think he was involved in this Operation Shovel deal. And when he gets all fed up, he thinks he's got protection because he's part of this Hutch gang. He's going to go try to kill his the buddy of his that had promised him this this laundering money. But he doesn't do it himself. He hires this hitman who's all coked up. He shoots the wrong guy. And this Kinahan organization is not going to take that like. because they know who he was trying to kill. They know he was trying to kill Daniel, who's the son of the leader of this major organization. So... That's now we're seeing Gary's killed. They try to kill Del Boy. It's possible the Hutchins try to retaliate. And a part of as soon as they try to retaliate and fail, the Kinahans are right back on them, uh, kill one of the guys I think is involved in the, the attempted retaliation. So that's where we're at with this case. Uh, like I said, stay tuned. We'll have part two here very soon. Uh, if you guys have. Any questions, feel free to reach out to me at truebluecrimeproductions at gmail.com. You can find me at True Blue Crime Productions on Facebook and support me via Patreon at True Blue Crime Productions. So that's it for part one of the Irish Crime Feud. Talk to you guys later. Have a great day. Goodbye.